If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture-wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com 1212 This is our number 2 of the World According to Zig podcast for this July 2nd 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show. One of the few places where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Hour number two is where we do our weekly interview, and I'm really looking forward to this one for a number of reasons, uh, mainly because this is the first time I've ever interviewed anyone, to my recollection, for whom I voted for president. Uh, he is Evan McMullen. He was an independent candidate for president, uh, almost won Utah. He's a former CIA operations officer and GOP advisor, and he joins us now. Evan, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, John, and, and thanks for your support during the election. Well, let's talk about, let's go um, in reverse here and, and, and kind of go in chronological order because we are living in such yeah. bizarre times. So why was it that you decided to run for president, and, and what do you think you learned um, primarily from that experience? Well, the main reason why I got into the race was simply because I thought somebody on the conservative side especially had to stand up for ideals that I believe are just timeless and 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 truth. Uh ideals that our country was founded on. Uh you know, again that's primarily uh the, the fact that all men and women are created equal, we're we're equal under the law and and by my religious faith we're we're equal in the eyes of of God. um that all men and women are are inherently free because of of who they are as human beings these these kinds of things um are 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 right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and my concern was that i didn't see those ideals being properly represented by any uh, of the candidates and and especially not by the candidate that uh unfortunately the party i had affiliated with previously the Republican party had had nominated what so, what, what made you so what why. made what made you conclude that Donald Trump did not qualify under those guidelines well it was just the whole thing that we're all so familiar with at this point but it's just you know attacks on different branches of government attacks uh, on the media that went beyond simply being critical of you know media bias which is a normal thing we can you know that's something that is totally fine to discuss and to be concerned about and all mm-hmm. of that but his attacks went further his attacks on people of different faiths of people with disabilities people of different races i mean it just went on and on his 
um, alignment with with Vladimir Putin, which I perceived, you know, were, you know, early on in in the campaign and certainly uh, in the in the election cycle in general, and tried to warn people about uh, all of these things. I found deeply, deeply concerning and anathema to what we are as a country and what I believe are the keys to our security and prosperity going forward. What do you What did you learn most in that experience of running for president? I mean, I learned a lot of things, uh, like personal things, and, and then I learned a lot of things about our politics. I, I think uh, with on a personal level, um, you know, there's almost so much there, it's hard to just digest it, it summarize it. But How about, you know, our, how about uh, our political process? What did you learn most about our political process? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, what I, I noticed is that we, I, I just saw the divisions first and foremost, between the right and the left, that they were so deep that uh, both sides, but especially, you know, on uh, among, you know, voters that I was in particular, uh, you know, more aligned with on the right, uh, I saw that that they had, um, they were being misled by, by voices that were affiliated with Donald Trump, whether they be online some of them were, you know, trolls, you know, operating from Eastern Europe, from Russia specifically. Uh, but but the 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 the, part of, the partisan animus was so deep that I, I saw that we were being manipulated, and and that's a huge problem, and it persists even till today. And it's something that we really need to work out for national security reasons, if if for no other reason. Now, your campaign caught fire in. Utah, which doesn't isn't a big mystery uh, because for one you're a Mormon, and uh, it was obvious from the beginning, partially you know because of what Mitt Romney had had done, that Mormons were much more open to being anti-Trump even as Republicans than other groups of people. I I was disappointed though with the fact that not only did you not win. Uh, in Utah, but it, it felt like a lot of those who were willing to support you and make an anti-Trump statement at the last minute kind of wimped out. Uh, first of all, do you agree with that assessment of what, what, what was your assessment of what occurred there with regard to anti-Trump sentiment in Utah? Well, I, there's a lot of concern. Uh, there was a lot of concern in this election cycle about both candidates, but on the Republican side, certainly, uh, re- relatively speaking, a lot of concern about Donald Trump. That's true. Uh, and we were leading in the polls, you know, some weeks, a few weeks ahead of, of the election or a month ahead of the election in, in some of the polls. Uh, but but look, at the end of the day, a lot of people decided that they needed to make a lesser of two evils decision. And I get that. A lot was writing on it. Many people thought, you know, we just need to make sure that the next Supreme Court justice is is uh, conservative. And so, you know, we're, we're going to bite the bullet and hold our noses and, and cast a vote for Donald Trump, even though he's not at all what we want. And, and you know, and others, there were others who, who did support him and, and they were in his camp. But at the end, at the end of the day, uh, the, the polling that I've seen, it indicates that People decided to some people enough people decided to switch at the last moment uh, to prevent Hillary Clinton from winning the election and and that's the way it went. But you know I don't begrudge anybody that decision. I understand the concern about the Supreme Court and all of that. Uh, my contention during the campaign was that we needed better options in the election, and I said many times that I thought Donald Trump was was dangerous and and I still believe that.
One last thing on, on Utah. Um, you, Mike Lee was a, a guest on this uh, po- program a couple weeks ago. I like Mike mm-hmm. uh, Senator Lee a lot. But mm-hmm. I was stunned by how soft on Trump he was then. And even just today, he refused to criticize him for, for instance, the CNN tweet, which is the big news story uh, of the day. Uh, here's a guy who, who just won election by a huge por- uh, majority in a state that he's incredibly safe in. And, and it, we all know that in the real world, Senator Lee is no fan of Donald Trump, yet even he won't criticize Trump. What's going on here? Well, there's a lot that's going on. And, you know, I, I haven't seen exactly what Senator Lee said. I mean, I understand your, you know, what, what, how you described it. And I understand that, you know, many of our elected uh, leaders are taking that approach on the Republican side. And, you know, one fundamental reality here still is that Donald Trump still enjoys a very strong majority uh, of support in, among Republican primary voters. And that support, you know, call it 80 percent now, has an especially strong effect in the House. Now, of course, Senator uh, Lee is not in the House, but, uh, but, but it really does have an impact in the House. And the House is important to the president because I believe he's facing, you know, a number of investigations and is very vulnerable for a number of reasons to those investigations. And if he's concerned about, concerned about, you know, potential proceedings that could advance in the House that might jeopardize his presidency or his reputation or, or whatever, then it's important for him to, to hold on to that. So, so what he does to hold on to it, of course, is, um, is, Going along with the with the Republicans' traditional agenda, and and that's a good thing. Uh, Republican leaders have tremendous leverage over the president right now. But what I would say, circling back to the to the question, is that with all of that leverage that comes from that dynamic that I've just explained, it really is a just a tremendous opportunity, and in fact, a need, I believe, of our uh, elected Republican leaders to stand up to to the president and to demand that his behavior on a number of fronts uh, be better. And, and I don't feel like many of our representatives, and, and more senators are, but perhaps not enough, uh, are, are using that leverage as fully as they could for the good of the country. I, I wish that that would change. Yeah, to me, if it, if Mike Lee can't do it, and I don't know who, who can. I mean, it, it's because from an electoral standpoint, he's got nothing to fear. And that's true. Uh, and it, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. And it's an indication to me, is it not, Evan, that in general, taking this out of Mike Lee in particular, but in general, the hesitancy among Republican uh, elected officials to criticize him, doesn't it show just how dramatic this, what I refer to as a coup d'etat within the Republican Party and the conservative movement was in 2016, that that almost everything that we thought we believed in or that we thought people believed in in the past either wasn't true or changed overnight. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, I think it I think it is. Uh, in some ways, a lot has changed. And, you know, I, by the tone in your voice, I sense the uh, similar disappointment to to that, which I, I feel, too. Um, but I'll tell you that you know some of these issues existed before Trump, and he was able he was able to come along and identify them very shrewdly. In fact, 
and then exploit them for his own political power. You know, other leaders have, have known about, you know, certain, you know, challenges that we've had within the party. Maybe we're some, some of our, some corners of the base of the party, you know, aren't as welcoming to people of different backgrounds, whatever they might be. You know, it, it's not a surprise that that issue existed. Uh, but no leader, or few Republican leaders or aspiring leaders, have attempted to harness that negative, dangerous energy and uh, for their own political purposes. They tend to take the high road and, and advocate for another approach. And whether you, you know, believe that they've done enough of that or not, you know, that's mostly what our leaders have done. I think about the, you know, the rhetoric of somebody like Marco Rubio, for example, totally different from that of Donald Trump. Marco Rubio, like any politician, could have gone down the same, you know, used the same demagoguery as Donald Trump and, and benefited perhaps from it, uh, like Donald Trump did. But, but our leaders have refrained from that, knowing that, you know, it's better to appeal to our better angels. That's, that's where the brighter future is for our country. Um, but some of these problems, I guess, I believe, have, have predated Donald Trump, and he came along and exploited them. But then there are other things that are changing. And, and I'll just say to, to wrap up, you know, my answer to your question, one of the things is that, you know, on the Republican side, we used to have a very healthy distrust for the government of Russia under Vladimir Putin's leadership. I mean, we knew how dangerous it was. We knew that they were undermining the cause of liberty across Europe, that, you know, that, that uh, Vladimir Putin was, uh, you know, a, a tyrant. Um, but now, just as of last month, uh, now 49% of Republican voters view Russia as either uh, a, a friendly country or, in, or in fact, an ally. And, and that's been something that's changed over the past several months. And, and the trend line is pretty frightening, actually. And so I'm very concerned about all of this. Some of it preexisted Trump. Some of it's changing under him. But leadership really does matter. Well, the Russian thing is obviously all about Trump. Uh, one, because right. he's been uh, very uh, pro-Putin, uh, pro-Russia, and because it is now perceived uh, by at least uh, a lot of his base, which I believe to be cult-like, that, uh, that this Russian investigation is, uh, uh, you know, in his words, fake news, and that this is the greatest threat, theoretically, to his presidency. So almost in a knee-jerk reaction to rally around Trump, uh, now all of a sudden, bizarrely, Russia is a friend. I mean, you agree that, that basically that's what's going on here, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. I, leadership, John, it just it really, really matters. I mean, you know, folks are busy out there. People are worrying about how they're going to pay rent, you know, how they're going to put their kids through school, how they're going to put food on the table, how they're going to hold down their, their first job or their, you know, their two or three jobs. What's going to happen to health care? People don't have time to make a study. Everybody doesn't have a time to make a study of what's going on with Russia and everything. We depend on our leaders to represent our interests and to and to lead us, to represent us and lead us. And and so when when you have an elected leader like Donald Trump, somebody who uh, you know is you know, uh, campaigning and ultimately gains the gains the nomination and then and then wins the presidency. And he is saying that that basically casting uh, doubt on what is clear that Russia intervened in our elections, uh, and then uh, and then suggesting that uh, that we need to take a, a friendly approach.
towards them regardless of that. And then you have most Republican leaders failing to say, no, that's not, that's, that's unacceptable. That's the wrong approach. It leaves us in danger. Some are, but most are not. Well, then that, all of that has an impact. And over time, opinions change because, you know, we, we trust in our leaders for the most part still in this country. And, uh, especially a leader, a leader of your partisan persuasion will have more of an impact on you. And, and so it, you know, it's, it's not a surprise, although it's very, very concerning that we see this trend among, among people on the right. Well, I believe, Evan, that if uh, Trump went after Putin in a Twitter storm the way he goes after uh, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski or CNN, that within a week, uh, those uh, poll numbers you referred to would reverse themselves uh, because I think his, You're cult, probably right. his, his cult would uh, go after him. Now, of course, the, the most bizarre part is he has never gone after Vladimir Putin or Russia anywhere near like he goes after members of right. the American news media. And I'm, I'm very curious, as a former CIA operations officer, Evan, what your take is on this whole Russian investigation in general. But specifically, let's start with what the president. It's, it's hard to remember because it, it was several days ago. And, and in Trump world, every day is a, is a new day <laughs> like, with a, a new series of bizarre stories, especially when he's tweeting. But uh, at the beginning of this week, we had, you know, CNN with the three resignations over a retracted story and uh, that really was a tangential story to the to the essence of the the whole Russian investigation. But Trump, of course, took advantage of that and uh, once again called the entire investigation fake news, a fraud. Uh, um, I'm curious, Evan, based upon your experience as a CIA operations officer and, and, I, and someone who's closely followed this story, is the Russian investigation fake news? Absolutely not. I mean, look, John, I've even said I don't think we, we even need the intelligence uh, services in the United States to tell us that Russia interfered in our election. So much of it happened right before our eyes. I mean, even the hacks of of democratic uh, you know, political institutions, even even those were, were done in such a way that they were easily discoverable as uh, originating uh, in Russia. And it's, you know, and, and it's not just that, it's the trolls who sort of uh, occasionally, you know, while pretending to be Americans, uh, reveal that they're actually Russian or RT America pushing fake stories that get picked up by Trump-aligned uh, digital media outlets and, and work their way into um, into the minds of, of Americans and then end up influencing how they view things, or whether it's the timing of the WikiLeaks uh, 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 releases or uh, Roger Stone's knowledge ahead of time of, of, of when those WikiLeaks uh, releases would happen. I mean, look, you just don't... We, we, we need to get to a place where we are educated enough as as, uh, as as a citizenry to identify that a foreign adversary intervened in our election and and yes if you're coming from the conservative side and you know you know you're hearing people on the left uh, complain and and sound alarm bells uh, for that you know there may be a knee-jerk reaction to say you know this is just a, a claim of the left uh, and that's 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 you know it, it's fine to maybe have that thought for a second, uh, but but the reality is it did happen, and just because the left is complaining about it uh, cannot mean 
that we disregard what actually happened and the threat that it poses because down the road it could, you know, the, the tables could turn. You know, there are elements of the far left that also think Russia is an ally or a friend. And, and so these, these tables can turn. This is not a partisan issue. We absolutely uh, must strengthen ourselves against this, this threat that has uh, become a, a bigger threat uh, with the advent of the Internet and social media and, and related technologies. Evan, I like what you just said there. I mean, just because the left is saying something, just because the media is saying something, doesn't inherently make it false. Uh, That's right. And and to believe that, I do believe, is incredibly uh, dangerous. And, you know, as a conservative, I used to think that we based our opinions on facts and logic and, 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 and you know, the, the law and things like that, uh, which we don't seem to do anymore. It seems to be much more about emotions and whatever our cult leader is telling us. And... As a C- former CIA operations officer, with regard to this Russian investigation, you know Trump, I think, has done something, and, and, and his minions have done something that's really smart from a strategic standpoint, where they have, it seemingly uh, appears to be a strategy on their part to make collusion with the campaign as the goalposts, if you will. And, you know, that's going to be an exceedingly difficult thing to prove, even if it happened, which I don't know if it did. I don't know. If, I don't know if anyone knows at this point if that happened. But there are a lot of other things that are really important <laughs> regarding this investigation, including the fact that Trump obviously tried to shut it down by firing an FBI director and then telling a Russian spy in the Oval Office that that's why he did it, not to mention NBC. What, what do you make right. of what do you make of the fact that the, the Trump people have made collusion the goalposts and in connection with that what do you make of the fact again as with your cia experience what do you make Mm -hmm. of the fact that trump has done nothing to punish russia or even criticize russia for their meddling in this election when you put those two things together what does that tell you well, I'll tell you on the on the latter the latter point there. I mean, just John. I mean, take a couple of step back steps back with me, and just think about this. We have an American president who refuses to stand up to Vladimir Putin in Russia, even after it is interceded in a very sophisticated way to influence our elections, and to pit Americans against Americans, exploiting our partisan differences. And we have a president who won't talk about it, who, who uh, calls it all a hoax, um, who is now talking. He's apparently, according to recent uh, reporting, he's asked his national security staff to come up with, quote, deliverables or concessions that he can offer to Vladimir Putin at the upcoming G20 meeting he, he intends to have with, with the Russian leader. I mean, it, it's, I, cannot, uh, I cannot understand you know, in normal terms, why after a country uh, intervenes in our elections, we would think we need to have, quote, deliverables or concessions in our, you know, in, in, in your first meeting as president with Vladimir Putin. It's the reverse. So, so yeah, I'm highly concerned, and it, it really, you know, begs quest- questions, I think, about really what is, what is the deal with Donald Trump and Russia? Now, of course, or, you know, addressing the first part of your question, those investigations are, are going forward. And the collusion point, 
you know, perhaps that will be difficult to prove. I don't know. I mean, some reporting that came from uh, Lawfare blog and the Wall Street Journal recently sort of seemed to move that possibility forward. But I'll tell you that, you know, we, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't, that shouldn't be the standard. For us as Americans, voters, the standard should be at the very minimum, at the most basic level, that we're not going to accept leaders or would-be leaders who are aligned with the enemies of liberty. Like, we, we can't accept that. If there's a foreign tyrant overseas that is undermining the liberty, democracies, uh, free, free society uh, elsewhere in the world and wants to do that here, it should be a basic standard for us, especially on the conservative side, that we're not going to accept that person as a leader. Now, that should be enough. Now, we'll see what the investigation comes up with, whether it's knowledge of or aiding and abetting or encouragement or collusion. I have no idea. Um, I'm not an attorney, so I don't know what the legal requirements of all of those things are and what impact they may have. But Congress will then have a decision or, or can make a decision now whenever it feels the time is right. I don't think it's quite yet, but I think investigations need to go forward more. Um, but Congress has another decision to make that isn't about, isn't the same standard as that which Mueller and the Department of Justice has. This is a political decision that Congress has to make about whether our president, it, you know, was uh, guilty uh, of being too aligned with a foreign adversary and in some way um, working or, or pulling in the same direction as that foreign adversary against the interests of the American people. So that's a political decision that, that is different, and it's a different standard, of right. course, than that which the Department of Justice has. Putting on your former CIA operations officer hat again, though, uh, Evan, it sounds like you don't necessarily have a theory uh, about, if you do, correct me, but it sounds like you don't have a theory about what really happened here. But I'm curious, is there one piece of evidence, if you were still working at the CIA, that we know of so far that would make you go, Hold on a second. <laughs> there's no there's no explaining this. Is there one that, that really makes you go, hmm? Well, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say that I have some some theory. I, uh, what I want is uh, thorough, well-funded, well-staffed investigations in both the Department of Justice and in Congress. Now, I think we have that with Mueller, uh, but, you know, I think the Senate Intel Committee is doing a fine job, although I don't think they have the resources that, you know, they need to, to do this as well as I think they should. The House has sort of been lagging, and there were the Nunes charades earlier uh, in the presidency that reflected very poorly on that effort. Uh, it seems that, that that's going better now. But, but I, you know, I don't have a theory. I want real investigations to find facts. And I want those facts to be known as much as possible to the American people. Sure. I will, I will tell you, though, that there is a hell of a lot of smoke here. And it is absolutely bizarre that a, uh, a major party candidate, candidate would have so many people with such deep relationships to, uh, to Vladimir Putin's uh, uh, regime and to, to the oligarchs who, who support it and facilitate his kleptocracy. I mean, it is beyond reason. I'll tell you, uh, presidential candidates or candidates of any kind, uh, most of the time, do everything they can to avoid those kinds of associations. 
But it seems that the connections are just so deep and so numerous uh, among everything else that we know, all of this other reporting about contacts and uh, and whatnot. So, I, I look, I, I find it hard to believe that there's so much smoke and somehow there manages to, manages to be no fire. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think these investigations have to go forward, and let's see where the facts lead. To me, for the record... I mean, the, the Comey firing is, is seemingly gets lost in this because to me, the, the Comey firing is the elephant in the room, especially since what he told Lester Holt and then what he told the Russian spy in the Oval Office. So, so that to me is by far the biggest piece of evidence that something nefarious was going on here. But if what we think we know about Jeff Sessions is true, and it appears to be since he recused himself, where not once but twice he neglected to inform Congress of, of meetings with top Russian officials, that, to me, is, is hard to explain, given Sessions' experience level and his position as attorney general. Uh, that, do, you, do you agree that that is uh, up there as far as significance is concerned? I do. I do. Because, as you point out, he, he knows the system. He knows the requirements. He knows how uh, grave an issue that is. And, and in my view, he tried to hide it. Right. I, I, I mean, it's a, look, it's a sad day when, uh, I think, for partisan reasons, uh, we will allow some nominee for uh, attorney general to sit before uh, the Senate and uh, and not respond to its questions honestly about uh, relations with a foreign power, and and we sort of just say, well, okay, we'll accept that. And I think that's largely what happened on the right. I said, John, after that time, that I thought Sessions should resign. I mean, if he's going to, if he's not going to you know, tell the truth under oath to our to to the Senate. Uh, then, uh, then that's a big problem, especially for somebody who who would uh, take the role of the attorney general. So, I agree that's a big, big issue. But there are so many of them. It's you know the Jared Kushner also uh, not reporting these meetings. It's his alleged attempts to uh, establish what we would call in the intelligence business a comms plan with the Russians, a covert communications with the Russians. Uh, from the Russian embassy or Russian facilities using Russian comms equipment. I mean, that is just beyond, uh, beyond uh, just imaginable. Come, as a, uh, an ex-CIA officer, I just, it's unbelievable that we have a situation like that with a senior administration official. Come on, Evan. You're believing fake news. Those are anonymous sources. Come on. Yeah, fake right. news. Exactly. It's all fake news. Last thing on Russia. Because um, yeah. you've eloquently talked about how just because the left is saying something and the media is saying something doesn't mean necessarily that it's false and we shouldn't reject it out of hand simply because it doesn't fit what we want the truth to, to be. I want you to think for a second if the, everything we know about this Russia situation was reversed and that they had tried to get Hillary Clinton elected and she had won and then she fired Comey. <laughs> For the and, and told everyone why she did it to end the Russian investigation. What would have been the reaction of the right, the the, the conservatives in Congress, the right wing media, the Sean Hannity's of the world? What would their reaction have been right now? Well, I'm I'm trying to imagine it, John, as you as you describe the scenario, and and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know that it would be an all out revolt. 
And uh, it, it, I think actually it would be more intense than what we see within what Donald Trump faces right now. I agree. Uh, I agree. So, yeah. <laughs> because I, because our side has been more conditioned to despise right. Russia than the left has. So the left is That's kind of right. doing this partially because it's in their interest because they don't like Trump. Um, right. and, and so it's, you know, politics making strange bedfellows. But I can't get over the hypocrisy issue. And it's so obvious. It's just so obvious. And yet no one will acknowledge it. And um, and to me, you know, I'm someone who believes in facts and and truth and, and all those antiquated kind of things and consistency, which I thought conservatives used to be. Uh, but right. but clearly those days are, are gone, at least as long as Donald Trump is here. Now, now Evan, it's, unfortunate. Uh, it's incredibly unfortunate and frustrating as hell. But you and I, uh, we, you and I became acquainted this week because we both participated in a, a meeting of, I guess you would call them anti-Trump uh, conservatives uh, in, in Washington, D.C. I, I was... Uh, participating via Skype because I live in California and, and that's how you and I made contact and and uh, you were gracious enough to, to make uh, time to come on this uh, podcast this week and one of the, I've been wanting to interview you for a long time but of all the people in the meeting I, I liked what you said the best and you know without getting into the details we don't we don't want to divulge who was there and that kind of stuff you know my basic premise or, or not premise but my perception of this thing was that it, it's all well intended, uh, and you know it it serves a good function if if only for therapy purposes. But I, mm. I I felt like there was a lot of naivete among those who are earnestly trying to save conservatism in this era of Trump. And you know my focus was on okay, I always want to know what can we do, and you know to me n- there's nothing we can do unless and until Trump decides to run for reelection. And in an ideal world, which I'm sure we're going to screw up, we find one credible conservative to go head to head against him in a primary, because otherwise there's nothing else that I can think of that will have any real significant impact. Uh, And that's something over which a fairly small number of conservatives can actually have some control by recruiting the right person and trying to make sure that they have a, uh, you know, a clear playing field. I'm curious, what did you make of of that statement that I made in, in our meeting this week? Well, I mean, I think that the 2020 election will be absolutely critical. I mean, I, you know, I haven't, you know, 2018 is sort of interesting to me. You know, it's yeah, obviously the Democrats are going to be very motivated and they're going to be uh, very, very engaged. And I, I think the House ought to be very concerned, candidly, mm-hmm. uh, because of that. Um, but you know, it's hard. It's hard for me to think fully about 2018 without our getting closer to it. In the sense that you still have a very popular Donald Trump among Republican the Republican base. I mean, that's just the reality. And so, in that, and that I think supports your you know your view, uh, which is that it's really going to be about 2020. So, so I, I guess the, when as I look at that, I think okay, you know, where is Donald Trump going to be with regard to the base? In, when voters go to to cast their their votes in in twenty or for twenty eighteen in twenty eighteen, where are they going to be? I don't, I just don't know. But if it's if it's where it is now, uh, and his approval rating is where it is now, then you know, then twenty eighteen may not represent 
may not send the kind of signal that we would hope, you and I, to Republican leaders about the need to stand up to, to the president uh, more. Um, and if that's the case, then, yeah, we're looking, we're looking at 2020. Um, you know, another thing that could happen, and, you know, we have no idea, but, you know, uh, uh, the special counsel, Mueller, may move forward in such a way that, that, that President Trump doesn't make it until then. That's possible, too. I, I'm not, you know, banking on that. Uh, but I 2020 doubt will be. Yeah, right. <laughs> I but mean, as long as as long as Republicans hold the House, he ain't getting impeached. And as long as Republicans are even close to a majority in the Senate, he ain't getting removed. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think you're probably right. But but if Mueller comes out with a, just a damning report of of activities uh, that, you know, span from obstruction of justice to you know, RICO-related activities to, you know, uh, you know, collusion, if it gets to that point, that sort of thing. I mean, I, that can, I, I do believe that that can change things, or even if it's a combination of some of those things, but not all of them. So, so I don't know, but I, I think it's smart for us either way, and I, I take your point about 2020. It's, it would be smart and well-advised for the right to identify someone to step up and challenge Donald Trump in the primaries. And, and you know, part of it is preserving the, the dignity and the credibility of the party. Right. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, I wish our leaders and our, and our, and our you know, fellows on, on the traditional right, I wish that they, would, uh, that they would do that, that they would see that, hey, we don't, you know, we don't need this guy. This guy's never been one of us. Why do we need to suffer for this guy? Uh, he needs us far more than we need him. Let's not support or condone any crazy thing he does, and let's demand that he does what we want. And you know what? He's going to do those things because all the leverage really rests with uh, those who are still supporting the president. So they could they could get so much more out of the president, demand decency, demand you know, demand a range of things that the country really needs, um, and uh, and he would have to deliver, or he would face serious challenges. But right now, his his base refuses to do that, and I think it's a, a real missed opportunity. But anyway, I'm going on about that. But yes, I think it's critical. Well, let me ex- let me prepare for 2020. Well, let me further just explain where I was coming from because I didn't get a chance to flesh it all out. See, yeah, part there, there's. There's a lot of things about the Trump phenomenon that we're going to pay for for a very long time. But one of those that I've never heard anyone discuss, and maybe you haven't even thought about this. Let's say Trump runs for re-election. Some people don't think he will, but I I personally think that he will, assuming he's in in good health. And let's presume that he wins. And I'm not pretending that there's a, a realistic chance of beating him in a primary. I think the right person, if they were given a one-on-one in a Republican primary against Trump could give him fits and expose him and drive him crazy. But I still don't think they would win because everyone's too still invested in the Trump uh, presidency. And it's very difficult to defeat an incumbent in the primary and as a president uh, and all those reasons, what have you not, it's not impossible, but it would have to be, it would be to be a perfect storm. My, my greatest concern though, is what I think is going to happen is that we're going to end up having five or six people trying to get their 15 minutes of fame uh, and it'll destroy the entire purpose because he'll be easily able to defeat uh, a scattered field. But let me just go forward with my theory here on, on why this is so problematic. 
So in 2016, we had nobody making the conservative argument to a national audience. See, I, I view presidential campaigns as once every four years civics lessons. Because for basically mm-hmm. a month or two during those debates, people are at least somewhat, somewhat focused on politics, people that normally aren't. And so for 2016, conservatism was completely left out of the equation. Nobody was teaching mm-hmm. conservatism in 2016. You could argue, you know, I like Mitt Romney and I like John McCain, but they were hardly conservative firebrands. They were liberal Republicans trying to win by appealing to the mainstream. So you could argue they weren't that that uh, conservatism wasn't being taught, if you will, in 2008 or 2012. So then Trump wins again the nomination in 2020. That's another four years where we don't teach conservatism. Now we're talking, it's 2024, the first time when we even have a chance to have a conservative candidate, which I doubt would even happen, but let's even, in theory, pretend that it did. In 2024, you'd have your first chance to reteach conservatism during that presidential election when you could argue it hasn't been done since 2004. That's 20 years. That's an entire generation that has never been exposed to actual conservatism in a national debate. You can't recover from that. I I think it's very difficult. I think it is very very difficult. And you know, even even eight years of of Trump, I think, would have that kind of effect. I mean, without you know, yeah, we you and I, I I, I probably am a bigger fan of McCain and and Governor Romney than 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 you may be in that regard. But 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 I agree. Eight years of eight years of of a president that uh, doesn't reflect. I mean, forget about, you know, the conservative conservative policies. Uh, you know, let's go even more basic than that. Let's just talk about, and I think these are conservative values, but uh, just the fundamental truths upon which our nation was founded. So, you know, equality, liberty, you know, these kinds of things, the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. We do not have a president who believes, I believe, who actually believes in these things. He does not teach them. He does not advocate for them. I think he pays lip service to them as a part of advancing uh, the kind of agenda items he needs to advance to maintain support among his core base so that he has protection in the House. Um, but as far as being a champion, like a Ronald Reagan champion for liberty, it just isn't there. And so you have, you know, what I worry about is a younger generation of people, right. uh, you know, and not most, most millennials, for example, are, have rejected Donald Trump, but, but those who have been attracted to the Republican Party, you know, over the last couple of years have been attracted to the, to the Republican Party due to Donald Trump. And so that's what their view of Republicanism or conservatism is. Right. And that is a huge, huge problem. And, and right. some of us were optimistic that maybe with some passing generations, uh, the Republican Party may be able to make some, some changes that are consistent with its, its stated values and that make it an even stronger political force. Um, but now we have this issue that, that Donald Trump is, is raising a generation of new Republicans that, that, as you say, have not been taught conservatism, which I define as a commitment, in my view, as a commitment to equality, liberty, and, and, uh, and these, these fundamental ideals and of cer- our nation. They're certainly not going to get it in the schools, and if they're not going to get it from the Republican presidential nominee, 
where the hell are they going to get it? I mean, it, it, maybe some from some parents, but that's about it. Um, real quick, mm-hmm. Evan, in our in our last few moments, and I, you've been generous with your time. I appreciate it. Um, what's your, what's your reaction to the the news of the week with regard to President Trump's uh, Twitter attacks? First on uh, Joe and Mika and MSNBC, and then today, I don't know if you saw it or not, but the the video that he put out on Twitter of him physically attacking CNN and uh, using an old video of him at a pro wrestling event. Uh, what what is your reaction to those? Well, I think they're they're unbecoming of of a president, uh, but more than that, they're they're harmful, and and I do believe they're dangerous. You know, most people out there, uh, with leave aside how unpresidential these kinds of comments are coming from uh, our president, um, you know, most people just assessing the danger of these things, most people will sort of realize that they're inappropriate, wish the president hadn't tweeted them. And then, uh, you know, be a little disappointed about the, the status of our country. But there are some out there on the far right and on the far left, uh, on the far left, um, who are not so well, and and who take these signals and will act upon them in dangerous ways. And and we don't have to look very far. Of course, you have the the baseball uh, practice shooting on on the House Republicans, right. and well, the Republicans and the congressional Republicans. You don't have to look far for this sort of thing. I mean, we, these things are very dangerous. Again, I'll, I'll I'll mention what I said in the beginning, John, and that is that leadership really, really does matter. And when you when you're the president of the United States, you you simply can't make comments and promote messages like these. Um, but then the last thing I'll say on this is just, you know, what does this do to the Republican Party? What does this do to those who believe in free markets and who believe in, you know, in in federalism and uh, who would advocate for these things under the Republican banner? What does it do to that? Um, and I think it does harm. And so my sort of closing pitch here is just that Look, to, to those of us who come from the traditional right, and I think a lot is changing the political spectrum, that's why I keep calling it that, but those of us who come from Republican roots, who, are, who come from the conservative side, um, we don't have to own this. There's no reason for us to own this any more than we already do. Uh, we've got a president who needs us way more than we need him. Uh, let's hold his feet to the fire and demand better It'll be better for us, better for the country, better for him, frankly. Uh, but let's not let's not accept this this kind of uh, uh, foolishness, this dangerous foolishness anymore. Evan, we both uh, warned everyone that would listen to us, you more than me, since you ran for president, about the dangers of a, a Trump presidency that it would not work, that he was uniquely unqualified for the job. It's my view that even with all of my personal warnings that what we've seen so far in the almost six months, he's actually been worse than I expected. Has he been worse than you expected? You know, the, the one thing he's I expected, look, I thought he was going to be dangerous and so much so that I as just a, a normal guy out there with no public profile and, you know, no, no you know, money to put behind my name or or anything, decided to run for president. So it just tells you how concerned I was. I was extremely concerned. I remain concerned. You know, I'm giving my life to trying to prevent the the worst that that can come from this right now. 
that's all I do. But, um, you know, but, but the one thing I'll tell you, John, that I'm most surprised of or that did surprise me is what I believe is a systematic attack on truth. Uh, that the president routinely changes his story and, and lies about uh, things that are obviously observable um, and and uh, attacks the media when they don't deserve it, candidly, when they are doing their jobs and when they're, they're reporting things that do uh, turn out to be true, in fact. Uh, you know, these are, you know, it's the assault on truth that I, I think is, is more than I anticipated. And, and, and let me just say, John, that truth is really important. There is truth. I, I talk to people on the right and the left these days, and they tell me, well, you know, so-and-so's got their truth, and I've got my truth, and everybody's got their truth. No, that's absolutely wrong. There is truth. Now, whether, you know, we can ascertain truth uh, whether, you know, uh, you know, whether I know what the truth is or you know what the truth is on any given topic, that's a whole, that's a question, that's a valid question. But there is truth and there are facts. And without them, we cannot hold our leaders accountable. And we on the right, you know, w- that used to be important to us. We want to be able to hold our leaders accountable. And we can't do it without facts and without truth, which is why Leaders who don't want to be held accountable try to undermine our ability to ascertain truth. And so that's why we've got to fight that in particular. We can't become part of, um, part of supporting uh, an administration that wants to undermine truth. Exceedingly well said, Evan McMullen. Uh, thank you so very much for your time, and uh, let's keep in touch. All right. Thanks a lot, John. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Take care. Thanks. That's Evan McMullen, former presidential candidate uh, with some really important thoughts about where we are in this age of Trump. I'll be back uh, again next week with another edition of the World According to Zig podcast. As always, I ask uh, only two things of you. First is, if you like what you've heard, please share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you, or word of mouth, because it's the only way people will find out about it. And number two, do yourself a favor, and if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, make sure you pay attention to this important message. My name is, my name is John Ziegler. (laughs) Easy for me to say. My name is John Ziegler, and our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.